0: Here's what you need to know as we continue our story today. Last week, we explored the book of Judges and saw how God's people quickly abandoned him after arriving in the promised land. Because there was no king, people lived however they wanted to live, and the nation spiraled into chaos and destruction. But not everyone followed this path. Even in this darkest of times, there were those who continued to do what is right. Some of them were not even a part of God's people. Such was the case with a young Moabite woman by the name of Ruth. All right. Excuse me. So, let me make a quick announcement, and then we're going to jump to the sermon. Um, This is a a men's encounter flyer, and we have several out in the lobby. And I want to personally invite every man here um, to go. This is me, not as a pastor, but just as a man who has... Um, family and responsibilities, and and uh, I can't tell you how valuable it is for us to get away as men, to be reminded of, of our relationship with the Lord, and to be reminded of the, the responsibilities He's given us as men. And so, I'm in- inviting you. It's January 29th through the 31st, um, but you can start finding out about it, get, getting information. You can even sign up by filling this thing out. You can even sign up online, um, which by the way, we have a new website you can check out at the same time. So, like I said, there's going to be men in the lobby, and there are flyers on the pillars. love for you to grab one. Uh, I needed to make that announcement because I made it at the end of the first service, but this, this time we're going to do something a little different at the end. And so, I needed to bump it up here. But like, like Brady said, Jim's stuck in Chicago, and so, you're stuck with me. Uh, and we are going to be in the book of Luke, which, no, no we're not. We're going to be in Ruth. Sorry. We're going to be in Ruth. This is totally different than Luke, and it's, and it's in the Old Testament, and it's after Judges and before Samuel. It's very quick. Like if you blink, you go right past it. It's four chapters. So turn to Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. Now, um, so I've been poring over the story for the last couple days when I saw the big blob of ice over Chicago. and um, and I got to tell you, this, this story is a pretty easy story to tell. It's a phenomenal story. It's an amazing love story. And, and I, I need to be honest with you, I don't really like love stories, to be honest. I, um, I realized this about three weeks ago when my wife started recording Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, we've only gotten one fight over it, so we're doing good. Um, I sat down to watch one with her, and I instantly, it doesn't take long because it's the same movie every time with just different faces and names, same exact story, every thank you. Thank you. This is why we need a weekend to get away Um, in January. So, so, I'm watching this, this. I sit down with her because I came in late. I was at the table. I came. She's watching the movie. It didn't take me but two minutes to figure out who's what and what's going to happen. And it's just, blech. Um so, so, I'm, so, anyway, watch this. I start, you know, mocking it. And then she gets upset with me. And we get into this argument um, about, I'm, I'm telling her, listen, these, these movies are lying to you. Okay? This is not what Christmas is about. She goes, I know this is not what Christmas is about. But this is not how love works. Well, I know. it, And so, then she starts pointing out the the shows that I like, um, (laughs) which the shows that I like have usually more darkness and more, like, raw, what I would call real. Like, I want to see people's real issues and struggles and overcoming those things, and sometimes not, but it's complicated. That's what I like. And usually with those shows comes... Bad things, but see, I can admit i 'm being lied to, but she prefers to be lied to in a happy way. so we just kind of had to agree to disagree, I guess, about you know um, what kind of shows we like, but i 'm not a big fan of, of love stories if If there 's going to be a love story, please have some comedy to keep me interested that 's kind of the issue if, if there 's no comedy with' these Hallmark movies have no real comedy. Um, anyway, it's everything I hate about Christmas in America, okay? Just let me just say it that way. Um, so, I'll, I'll stop there. I'm depraved too, and I'm being lied to, and I am just a better man for admitting it. All right. But, but this story of Ruth has actually been really easy to pick up, and, and you'll see here in a moment how, how amazing the story is. It really is. And like the, like the video said, it starts and it comes in this just dark time in, in the nation of Israel, and, you know, the, the opening line is, is you know, in the, in the days when judges ruled and there was famine in the land, it's like if, if, if this was a movie and the narrator came on and said that, you would know the kind of, the kind of mood it's trying to create, okay, this is coming in the midst of dark times and difficult times. That's when, this, that's when this epic love story unfolds. That's how it begins. And it's because it happens in the land in, during the time of Judges. And the Judges' time, like we've learned last week, is when Israel had everything they wanted. They had a law, they had a covenant relationship with a God who was going to provide and protect, and they had a land flowing with milk and honey. They had a place to live out. They had, their dreams had come true, they had everything they wanted, and what do people do when they get everything they want? It goes bad quick, and so the summary of Judges, the very last, you just turn over one page, look at the last um, verse in Judges. It's in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What does that mean? What kinds of things did they do? Idolatry. It says evil in the sight of the Lord. Idolatry, murder, covenantal rebellion, ungrateful, unfaithfulness, and that's the story of Judges. And and throughout the Bible, this is there's two things that unfold pretty quickly. One that God is faithful. God is faithful to His promises, and He's faithful to those He's promised to. The second one is, we are not. Like, over and over and over throughout the, the story of the Bible, people are not faithful to God, and He is faithful to them. And yet, in, in the midst of <clears throat> Judges, there's these, there's these glimmers of hope, these, these moments where individuals show signs of faithfulness, and it gives us hope, and enters the story of Ruth. And so, If you look at Ruth chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Okay, so we know a little bit about this family. Um, Like I said, it starts in dark times, but it, and it gets more difficult. It gets worse for this family. So they they moved to Moab, um, they, they would have had to have been somewhat desperate to move to Moab. Um, and, and then eventually the husband dies. Ahimelech is his name. And Naomi, the wife, is left with a, as, as a widow, but she has two sons. And they get married, as if it couldn't get worse, they get married to Moabite women. Now, there's history with the Moabite women. They have lured the israelite men away and god has punished them for it and so this is bad news in some sense and if it couldn't get worse then the hus- then the the sons die so he's lost their husband she's lost her two sons and now she's left as a widow taking care of two widowed daughter-in-laws who are moabite women and there's still no food there's still famine there are two types of difficulties that we find ourselves in. One is the kind that we caused, and the other is the kind that we just endure through. The other is the kind that we didn't cause, that we find ourselves in. And there are hundreds of families in Paris right now that are, find themselves in this Difficulty that they didn't cause, that they are just enduring through, and you, you get a sense of the kind of um, difficulty that Naomi is finding herself in. She's enduring through. but then she hears uh, some good news. God has been faithful to his people, and so there's food in, the, in Judah and around Bethlehem, and so she decides to up and move back home, and she tells her daughter, daughters-in-law to stay here. And to not go with her, Um, probably for several reasons. It would not have been a great thing for them to go back into this country. And plus, she couldn't take care of them. But uh, one of them decides to stay, and one of them decides to go with her. And we'll pick it up in the story, verse 14. It says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and, and Orpah, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Naomi said, "'See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, "'to her God's returning return after your sister-in-law. "'But Ruth said, "'Do not urge me to leave you "'or to return from following you. "'For where you go, I will go, "'and where you lodge, I will lodge. "'Your people shall be my people, "'and your God, my God. "'Where you die, I will die, "'and there will I be buried.'" May the Lord do so to me, and more and more also, if anything but death separates me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more." Ruth's faithfulness and devotion to her mother-in-law had a similar ring that it does today. Why would she do this? Why would she leave the land that she knows, the family that she knows? the possibility of remarrying again and having a family, why would she risk all that and leave with her mother-in-law to go to a foreign country? And and we we get glimpses of a couple things. One, in the way in which potentially Naomi cared for her daughter's-in-law, that she would be willing, that Ruth would be willing to risk this. And we also get a glimpse into the kind of woman that Ruth is. So Naomi, Naomi and Ruth travel back to Bethlehem. And when they arrive in Bethlehem, there's all a buzz. It says, the town is stirred up because there, is that, is that Naomi? They haven't seen her in a long time. And who's with her? It's a little bit like this moment where um, you see someone at maybe a 20-year high school reunion. And your, your memories of them in high school where they had it all together, had everything going for them, and you fully expected them to go on and live whatever you define as a successful life. And then you see them and you think, man, life must have happened. What happened? And who knows? Maybe maybe that was you. And, and, and you found yourself in the, the second kind of difficulty where, you know, life just kind of happens and you don't know, you you didn't cause it, things just happen and, and it wears you down. And so when they see Naomi, they say, Naomi, it's good to see you. And her response is classic. She says, don't call me Naomi, for my name is Mara, which means bitter. She says, I am bitter. And then she says this, the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. For what when I went away full and I have come back empty. No husband, no sons, no grandkids, no money, and no food. She's empty. See, when you're empty, all you have is empty. I mean, what else can she offer? What else can she do? She's empty. She has nothing left. One of my favorite quotes from, from Dallas Willard, he said, that being a Christian is more about what you do when you realize there's nothing you can do. So so what do you do in that moment? When you realize there's nothing within you, there's nothing around you that, that, that can possibly change the situation, it's it's what you do next that matters. And so Naomi finds herself empty. And bitter. And so, chapter one, or scene one to this epic love story, ends with two widow, um, poor widow women, back in the land of promise, one of them bitter and empty, and the other kind and faithful. And then, scene two comes back on, and scene two starts with a glimpse of hope. It's almost like there's this grand orchestra, orchestrating events in the lives of this tragedy and this personal tragedy with Naomi, but also in the, pers- in, in the, in the national tragedy of Israel. And out of Ruth's kindness, she wakes up the next day. Okay, I'm going to tell this story as if it's from Ruth's perspective. She, she wakes up the next day and she thinks to herself, I, I'm... I'm young enough. I can go get some food. So the way that God had set this up was a long time ago. In order to take care of the poor, whenever they would glean, whenever they would reap the harvest, hey, whenever it was harvest time, they would they would allow scraps. They would allow things to fall to the ground for the for the poor to come in and pick up the scraps and to glean from the harvest. And and so Naomi, or sorry, Ruth says, "I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go see if I can scrounge up some food for today." So, she leaves. Now, from Naomi's perspective, this, there is danger in this for two reasons. One, it's in different times than we live because men can do kind of whatever they want when they see a woman that doesn't belong to anyone else. Two, it's different times because in those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, there's no governing. like There's no like the righteous man, where are they at? But she is desperate and she's hungry and so she sets out and in the text describes this beautifully. It says, just so happened that she went to a field owned by a righteous man. And I know in chapter two it gives his name, but I'm not giving his name yet because I'm telling it from the perspective of Ruth. So she goes to this field and we know that this is a righteous landowner because the servants let her glean And they let her get as much work and and get food for the day. And then the owner shows up. The Lord of the harvest shows up and he asks the servant, who is that? Like, I remember that moment for me in, in the gym of Ozark Christian College, 1997, when I saw my first wife, my favorite wife. My only wife, Ryan. Um, So he sees her, says, who is that? And then the the servant answers, and it's not going to be on your screen, but it's in verse six. She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers, And so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. In other words, she is a woman of character, and she is a a hardworking woman, and and this is a this is a worthy woman. So he hears of her story, and he hears of her kindness and her faithfulness to Naomi, and he hears of her need. And then he does something interesting in verse 12. He remembers the goodness of the Lord. He remembers the heart of God because it says that he is, that he says it's the goodness of Yahweh that rewards those who are kind and faithful. It's, it's, it's Yahweh who will, be, who will provide. It's Yahweh who will spread his wings over you and provide for you and protect you. So e- even though in verse 12 it's, he, it's, it's, it's it's the, the land almost said it. It's the landowner who's going to provide for her and protect her and spread his wings so that she can come under him. But this landowner knows that any provision or protection that he offers is, is really from God. So this, this owner hears her need, remembers the goodness of God, and then moves into action. See this is a worthy man. He hears the need, he remembers God's way, and he moves in with God's um, love and action. He shows kindness to Ruth, and he invites her to, to dinner at his table. And, and, and so you have to picture, this is a Moabite woman, dirty from working in the field all day, invited to sit at the table with the Lord of the harvest. And not only does he get to, she get to sit there, but he serves her food. And then he lets her eat as much as she can eat and then stuff her pockets with as much as she can fill her pockets with. And then he gives her about 30 pounds, they think, uh, of, of food, of barley, that will last anywhere from a week to two weeks or more. And, and, and then sends her on her way. Okay, so remember back, Naomi is back at the home. She doesn't know if Ruth is going to return. She doesn't know if Ruth is going to have any food, and in walks Ruth, okay? And then not only does Ruth walk in, but she walks in with like 30-plus pounds of food. Ruth was probably buff. She's been, you know, doing workouts of the day all the way back, lunges I think, um, with this food, all the way back to, to Naomi's house. So she's there. And she's got all this food, and she's, her pockets are stuffed with this bread, and, and then um, and she starts telling her story. Kate, well, actually, Naomi, Naomi says, where have you been, and who has shown you kindness? Because only, the only way for you to have this much kind of food, this much food, is if someone has showed you all kinds of kindness. So, who, where have you been and, and who has shown you kindness? And Ruth starts telling the story of this landowner um, who had gracious servants who let her work and then invited her to dinner and gave her all this food. And what is his name? And then she says the name. Uh, his name was Boaz. And I picture, I picture, okay, Naomi's washing dishes. Ruth comes in, she's holding a dish, right? You know what's gonna happen, don't you? What's she gonna do? When she says the name Boaz, drop the dish. It shatters, it's not in the text. Just just humor me. Um, Because this moment is huge. Do you realize this moment changes everything? There was no hope and now there's hope. Why? Because the text tells us in, in chapter two, verse one, that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's husband. They're from the same clan, which means he can be a kinsman redeemer, okay? So, what is a kinsman redeemer? Okay, so we're going to leave this scene, okay? These two women are jumping up and down, right? And hugging, hugging. you know what women do, they hug, whatever. So, that's them. We're going to pause there, and then we're going to go over to this story, and and you need to, okay, Genesis 38 so, odd story. It's right in the middle of Joseph's life. Okay, so Joseph, this boy that's sold into slavery by his brothers and gets sold into, you know, Potiphar's house and moves up to the ranks and then falsely accused and sent to prison and moves up to the ra- and is second in command over all of e- Egypt. Incredible story. Right in the middle of that, it's this awkward, scandalous story about Judah and his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Okay, so I'm gonna try to tell as quick as I can but you got to read the story. So Judah has three sons. The oldest son marries Tamar. The oldest son dies. And this is how this kinsman redeemer thing works. In those days when if if you die, if you you know, a relative dies and there's no child to carry on the name, then the closest relative, in this case it would be the second son, is to is to marry her, to have a child with her so that so that she can carry on the name of the deceased relative. So the second, son, so Judah says to the second son, Onan, you have to marry her, uh, and you, you, we know that he was reluctant because he would he refused to get her pregnant, and you can read the details. In fact, God thought that it was so wicked what he did that God put him to death. Okay, it's scandalous, you've got to read the story. And so God puts him to death, so now no, no, Tamar's been married twice, two husbands, no kids, both Husbands are dead, but there's a third son, but he's young, and he needs to grow up. So, Judah says, go back to your home and, and mourn, and, and then when the son is old enough, I'll send him to you to, to marry you and for you to carry on his brother's name. Well, years go by, And the son is plenty old enough, and Judah never sends him. Judah never does the right thing. Judah's actions in that moment were unfaithful and disobedient to what God would want of him, and Tamar knows it. So, Tamar does what you and I would do, dresses up like a prostitute, of course, Um, dresses up like a prostitute, and then um, stands at the gate of this city that Judah's going to enter into, and Judah picks up on her, um, says, "Hey, let's go hang out. It's Hebrew, I think, for something else. <laughs> so they go, they go hang out, um, and she's fully wrapped and covered. I don't know how this works. She didn't, he didn't know who she was. And so anyway, they have this moment, and then she says, she says, "How are you going to pay me?" He says, "I'm going to send you a goat."-huh." She says, "Well." I don't know if I believe you, so give me some collateral. Give me your signet, give me your cord, and give me your staff. It's almost like she's saying, I have a plan, but you don't know anything. He's like, okay, here, you can have these three things that identify me. And then they leave, and, and then he sends, later on he sends a servant with a goat, and the servant can't find this prostitute, and nobody in the town knows who he's talking about, and he's pretty sure he didn't dream this up, but... He says, okay, well, I guess she doesn't want the goat, whatever. She did have my stuff. It's okay. And then three months later, Tamar is pregnant, and Judah is ticked. So Judah thinks, Tamar's been immoral. We need to burn her, literally. So he goes to the house of her dad and says, send her out so we can burn her. And she comes walking out, I, I assume with a smile on her face, although she might be wrapped, I don't know, Um And drops the mic. (laughs) Basically says, oh yeah, the man who did this, this is his stuff. Do you know him by chance? Um, And of course Judah's like, and then his reaction is not what what I would have thought his reaction would be. His reaction is, oh wow, you are more righteous than I am. For you did the right thing when I wouldn't. You were faithful and obedient when I wouldn't. And and it says he he leaves her alone, lets her have a son, and the son's name is Perez. Now that's Genesis 38. Okay, that helps us understand this kinsman redeemer thing. Now back to the women who are jumping up and down, hugging each other. Um, this is a, this is a this is the end of scene two, and then scene three starts with um, it's the end of the harvest. And, and they know that time is short, and, and if they're going, if, if Ruth is going to be, Ruth and Naomi are going to be redeemed by Boaz, they need to act quickly, and so they come up with a plan, okay, I'm not going to read the plan, it takes too long. It's a great plan, it's an interesting, somewhat shady plan, um, but she, the plan is to make, for Ruth to make herself completely, utterly vulnerable. To Boaz when his heart is happy and he's asleep. And she does that. She makes herself as vulnerable as a woman could to a man. And he could respond in several ways. And they're hoping and praying that he responds with righteousness and grace and faithfulness to do the right thing. And he does. He, he agrees to him. Well, actually, he says, I will, but there's somebody that's closer to you, and so I need to go talk to him. Let me go talk to him. This guy won't do the right thing, and Boaz says in front of everybody in chapter four, I am going to redeem Ruth and Naomi, and I'm going to take R- Ruth into my home, and I'm going to carry on the line. And everybody cheers. And then something cool happens. Now, let me, let me stop here. Um, this, so far has been a good love story. It's been a good love story. But it's not, that, like the story between Ruth and Boaz, is, it's interesting, it's, it's, there's tension, there's all kinds of things. But it's not why this is an amazing love story. It goes to a whole nother level when we find out more about Ruth and Boaz. Because what's about to happen is God's going to redeem a previous rebellious situation that I just talked about and he's going to provide a righteous king for his rebellious people. So we're gonna pick it up in Ruth 4, verse 11. Then all the people, after Boaz makes this announcement, then all the people who were at the gate at the, and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your, home, your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. That was a huge statement, okay? And then he says, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. See, Hamar did the righteous thing with with Judah. And so Judah, or Perez, was born into this world by this righteous act, this faithful act of his mom. What they're saying is, may this same thing happen with you and Ruth. May God redeem this. Because of your righteous act, may God bless this and honor this. And God's plan of redemption brings together the rebellious situation of Judah and Tamar, and the obedient circumstances of Boaz and Ruth. And the story of Ruth reminds us that God can be glorified and his purposes will prevail in our disobedience or in our obedience. And so Boaz redeems not only Ruth and Naomi, but also Judah and Judah's act of unfaithfulness So it means that your and my unfaithful and selfish acts, they can be redeemed, they can be um, restored, and God can use them to bring about his purposes and plan. It means that every single one of us has hope, no matter where we are, no matter how difficult our circumstances are in, no matter what we've done to screw things up in the past or in the present, it means that we have hope in God. But the story is not over. And Boaz's faithful action um, results in God providing a righteous king. So, let's look at the last few verses. Verse 18, verse of chapter 4. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadad, or Aminadad fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Now, stop there. Salmon, or Solomon, or whatever you say his name, um, he married a woman who used to be a prostitute in, that lived in Jericho. Her name was Rahab. And Rahab is found in, X, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 in the, 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 the faithful few, right? The, the faithful heroes of, of this story is Rahab because she was faithful to God And and took the spies in Jericho and sheltered them, and and she was a prostitute. She goes on to live with God's people, and we know that she goes on and she marries a guy named Salvin. And guess who they have as a son? What does it say? Salmon fathered Boaz. This is Boaz's mom is Rahab. This runs in his family. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse father's who? David. The last line of Judges is that Israel has no king. The last word of Ruth is God is providing a king. This is an, this is a great great love story. It's showing us that that nothing can prevent God's purposes and plan and 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 that God is going to bring about his 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 honor and His righteousness is going to redeem the people of Israel by bringing David a righteous king. That God has been working in the background. That God uses um, simple, faithful, obedient actions of individuals to bring about His plan. Here's, Here's the point I want you to see. That God works through the faithful and seemingly insignificant decisions of His people to accomplish his grand, significant plan of redemption and restoration. In Naomi's case, it was all she had was emptiness and surrender and waiting and trusting in the Lord. And Ruth and Boaz do kind and faithful acts. They do the right thing. They trust God through the process. See, God is always at work in the background. And his purposes will prevail, and he's, he's out for our peace. He's out for his, his glory and, and our good. And the question is, will we trust him? See, the Lord of the harvest can use like a couple fish and a few loaves of bread to do amazing things. The Insignificant gifts of, of faithfulness and obedience and trust To do amazing things through. This is such an an amazing story. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I love that verse because I love this promise that the things that I've done, the things that I'm in, the difficulties I find myself in, no matter what they are, that that I can turn those things to God, I can surrender those things to God and trust him with those things and he will bring my life and those things into completion and his plan and his purpose will prevail. Here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. God is for you, and because God is for his plan and his purpose, and that is always good for us. Now, the fact that David is the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth makes this not just a good story, but a great story. But it's still not the reason I think this is an amazing story. This amazing story culminates in um, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter one is a, is a genealogy of Jesus. It starts with Abraham, it goes to David, and then it goes to Jesus. And it, it's the story of all these men. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob right all, Jacob begot Judah, and all the way down. It, 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 and it's all men, except for there's four women. There's four women in, in the genealogy of Jesus. That like in, in, in Jewish cultures, this, this would have been unheard of. Why would you why would you include women and why would you include these women? Because four of the three of the four have scandalous stories attached to their name. Here's the four Tamar, which we just heard about, Rahab, which we just heard about, Ruth, which we just heard about, Bathsheba, which we haven't heard about. That's later. But of of the four, Ruth is the only one who doesn't have scandal attached to a name, other than she's a Moabite woman. See, this story reminds us that in the midst of our rebellious and selfish actions, like, just like the people of Israel in Judges, just like the people in the Bible all the way through, and just like you and me, that in our sin, God was working a plan from the beginning to send Jesus to redeem us and to restore us back to him, So this is not primarily a love story between Boaz and Ruth. This is an amazing love story about God sending Jesus, our Redeemer, to us. This is a story about us being poor and destitute and in desperate need of someone to, to remember, sorry, to hear our need, to remember the heart of God, and to move with action, with God's love. That's exactly what Jesus did. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5, and we'll, we'll close with this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is an amazing, amazing love story. And it's humbling to see God at work in the background of our lives constantly. Will you trust Him? There's nothing that you're going through, there's nothing that you've done, there's nothing that you, you've been through that, is, that can thwart. God's plan. The question is, what will your story be? Will it be one of Judah's? Will it be one of Boaz? It's an amazing story. And I'd love, we would love to talk to you more about it. If you're here today and you don't know this story of Jesus, you don't know this personal story of God sending a Redeemer into the world, um, we would love to talk to you about it. And there's going to be people up here, af- up here afterwards that would love to talk to you. Um, but in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then I ask Steve and Kayla and the rest of the team to come out and to lead us through one of the songs that we sung. Because I'm sitting here in first service and singing this song. It's called Your Promises. And I, they, it's like my sermon. It was like... It feels like the story of Ruth to me. Um, so we're going to sing it. One of the lines that I loved was, nothing can stop the plans you've made, okay? And nothing can stop the love you have for me. Amazing line. So in a moment, they're going to come out. I'm going to have you stand. I'm going to pray. I'm going to have you stand. And then um, and we're going to just close our service singing together. And at the end of this, if you want to talk to somebody, we would love to talk to you. Let me pray. God, thank you for this amazing story. It's been so easy to connect the dots um, and to see what you've been up, up to from the beginning and how you have been orchestrating things. And God, just when it seems darkest, just when it seems like there's no hope, God, there is, you, are, you are at work and there's something bigger going on. And God, I pray that we would trust you I pray that we would come to see Jesus in a way that helps us know and love you more, that helps us accept him as our Lord and Savior, and respond with faithfulness and repentance and and giving our life to him as he desperately deserves. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.